welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. All right, we will be getting into Annie's episode very, very shortly, but really quickly, I wanted to share with you all an announcement. The Mind Money Balance podcast is going to be coming to you two times per week. That's right. On Mondays and Thursdays now, you will get to hear me talk to other folks about how they are getting their mind and money in balance. Why? Well, I was recently interviewing Joe Sanok, who started the Practice of the Practice podcast and created an entire program around helping people grow and launch their podcast. Don't worry, he'll be coming up on a future episode. Stay tuned. He'll be coming on in just a few weeks. And after we stopped hitting record, he was just, you know, being really friendly and asking me how the podcast was going. And I told him, Joe, in fact, it's going so well that I have episodes recorded all the way through the end of March. Mind you, we were recording in mid-November and I was talking about (laughs) mid-March and he said, oh, then why don't you release two a week? And I was like, oh, I could totally do that. So I wanted to bring you all the mind, money, balance, goodness twice a week instead of, you know, making you wait. I have very little patience that served me well in many ways and in other ways, not so much, but this is one that I'm really excited to lean into some of that excitement and spontaneity and share with you more of these mind money balance episodes. So again, starting this week, you will get these episodes to you twice per week, once on Mondays and once on Thursdays. Now, On to today's podcast guest. Annie Schusler is a business coach and the host of the Rebel Therapist podcast. Annie helps helps therapists, healers, and coaches make their impacts beyond a traditional private practice. In today's episode, we cover so much goodness. Stay tuned till the end where I wrap up with this episode's takeaways. Hi, Annie. It's so great to have you on the Mind Money Balance podcast. Hey, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you again. Yeah, well, it's interesting kind of flipping the script because the last time we spoke in this capacity, I was on your podcast, Rebel Therapist, talking about creating your first non-therapy offer. And so here we are. And I'm really excited to introduce my listeners to you and to your your work. So just do the brief intro. Give us the elevator pitch of who you are and what you do professionally. Well, I am a former therapist. I, I've been a therapist for 20 years. I closed my practice this spring, and I help therapists and healers to create the businesses that they really want to be running, whether that's a therapy practice or something beyond the therapy room. Mm-hmm. So tell me, and us rather, because there's more than just you and I here in this conversation, tell us what led to that decision to close down the therapy practice and really lean into the coaching arm. Because for a while you were holding space for both of those things. You were doing therapy and then you were also helping people create their offers outside of the therapy room. So what led to that decision? Yeah, I love to keep things streamlined. I love to have a really 
kind of simple, streamlined life. And so for me, it was a bittersweet ending in that I was still loving being a therapist. So I left the party while it was still great. (laughs) But I just realized I wanted to run one business at a time and that Mm -hmm. that's kind of my sweet spot is to be working on one project, kind of building one community and getting to have conversations about business and how to create different kinds of businesses. Like that's what I kind of want to talk about all day. So it sounds like it was a little bit of just you tuning into yourself and saying, I do best when I go deep on one thing instead of wide on a bunch of different things. And then also I heard maybe the P word passion (laughs) come up of here's the thing that I can talk about no matter what. Yes, exactly. Got it. Yeah. And you know, having two kids and having a life that's full in other ways, I, yeah, I needed to give myself permission to go all in on this one thing that just feels like it's what I'm meant to do right now. And how did you get there to give yourself permission to go all in on this one thing? I thought about, it's kind of like the way that Marie Kondo inspires us to think about our stuff. I thought like, I love my therapy practice. I love, you know, I was thinking at the time, I love my therapy practice, but what would I do right now in order to start a therapy practice if I didn't already have one? Because I actually help people do that. And the people who I help do that, that is what they want to be doing is starting a therapy practice. So I was thinking, all right, if I didn't have it, what would I do to start it? What kind of energy and time would I put in? And I realized I wouldn't start one. I would go all in on my business coaching business. And Mm -hmm. so that kind of told me, all right, that's the direction I need to go in. And so then it just became a process of giving my therapy clients like a year of notice and just taking the steps to start saying goodbye to it. And where did money show up in this decision? Oh yeah. I was already making so much more money as a business coach (laughs) than as a therapist. I was already running it only one morning a week and it was not a big part of my income. So that part was was easy. When you say you were only running it one morning a week, you mean the therapy practice? Yes. The Got therapy it. practice, okay. I was just seeing clients one morning a week. Yeah. Okay. So having been in the private practice space for 20 years or just therapy for 20 years, what did, what did that kind of breakdown of your business life look like? Yeah. So for 20 years, I had some kind of private practice starting as a intern in private practice. And for a lot of that time, I was also working in an agency. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, over time, it was 40 hours a week. And then as I became a business coach, the balance just kept changing where I would say 10 years ago, I was only working on my coaching business one half day a week. And then it just kept shifting from there. And for me and my personality, I was finding, ooh, I want more and more and more of this one. So I just feel like I had to practice what I preach, which is like, look at where you are getting energy from and step further and further into that. Okay. This practice what you preach thing is so interesting to me because (laughs) I find... (laughs) Yes. Okay. Thank you. I was going to say, I am really great at coaching people on the 
doing things in alignment with your values and following your energy. And then also as a business owner, having to look at the number side of it and taking a look at what makes the most sense financially. Did you have any money stories you had to overcome as you pivoted from therapy to coaching? Yeah, I think I've had a really a big pivot in the last several years of embracing business as a radical possibility. So instead of thinking of business as something that's like this necessary evil, I'm now really into looking at our micro businesses, especially as these ways that we can actually make change and we can create the world that we want to see. When I started out as a business coach, I felt kind of confused about that. I felt like, well, I love business, but making money is like a little bit evil. And especially in a capitalist system, it's a little bit evil. But since it's a system we have, I guess it's okay. You know, like I was not feeling aligned in it. And then over time, I've completely flipped that. And I now feel like creating micro businesses where we treat everybody we engage with really ethically and we're transparent and we're not trying to concentrate wealth in the biggest way possible. We're not trying to oppress anybody who is working for us. If we are hiring people, we can run completely aligned and ethical and even radical businesses. So yeah, I'm now trying to remember where that question started because I started going off on this thing that I've been thinking so much about. No, I love that. So you did answer my question (laughs) and I'm going to ask more questions because it's so, so beautiful what you said. So first of all, what I heard is that the money story you first had to overcome was this idea around capitalism is bad and earning money makes you greedy and that's not okay. And then kind of it evolving into, look, that's the system in which we exist And there is space for us to earn money and give back to our communities and to causes that are important to us. And it's possible to grow an ethical business that is profitable and sustainable. And those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I really think that that has been a lot of the learning and unlearning that I have been doing as Mm -hmm. a business owner, because I mentioned right before we hit record, look, I've been doing a lot of my own learning and unlearning in 2020. And when I turn towards online business and how to grow and scale a business, so much of it was heavily capitalistic and exploitative in a way that didn't align with me, but I didn't see any other option. And Kelly Deals, I think she was on your podcast, actually. So Kelly Deals talks a lot about the, oh my gosh, you'll know the acronym, female empowerment. Female lifestyle empowerment brand. Yes. Yes. Which is basically bro marketing, but wrapped in millennial pink. (laughs) And that to me was so helpful. So listening to Kelly Deals and then also my friend Giselle Allen, she is also kind of pushing back against how to create a business in the space that we are in where we can earn money and support ourselves and also pay people accordingly because so much of the female lifestyle empowerment brand and so much of the bro marketing that I think is easier for us to pick and point out. Like it's easier for us to go, okay, I'm not aligned with the person who says 
work 20 hours a week, outsource all of your work to developing countries, you know, be all the places at all the times. Like it's pretty easy to say that doesn't align with me. I'll pivot, but it's harder to kind of pick out the, the female lifestyle empowerment brand. So I love that you have found your own way and that you are what it sounds like really standing in your business as ethical. So tell me what are some of the the values or the cornerstones for you that mean being a sustainable and ethical business? What are some of the things that you like to do as you grow your business? One thing is paying people well. So whatever it is that somebody's contributing to my business, looking at what I'm paying them. Like somebody just created an avatar for me and you know, like a a comic kind of avatar for me. And they were charging 20 bucks. And this is a really small example, but I just said, no, I'm going to pay you $40 because Mm -hmm. this is really good work that you're doing. And I think you're not charging enough. So like just looking at all those little decisions that we make of how am I treating this person? Am I taking advantage? Am I being exploitive or am I being in right relationship mm-hmm. with my money and my choices here? Another one, and this also I'm inspired by Kelly deals around this is looking at my sales copy and leaning into being very transparent about what happens for the people I work with and not over-promising anything, and also Mm -hmm. not leaning into fears, not leaning into, well, you're really going to be screwed if you don't buy my thing, and here are the horrible fears that you've got, and if you don't buy now, then you're just going to be a big loser. I don't do any of that. I lean into the honesty of what can happen if they do the work, and mm-hmm. if they're in the right position to do it mm-hmm. and just getting really conscious about getting into right relationship about my messaging my money really all of my practices the images that i put out there's so many opportunities to look at what we're doing in business and to do it really joyfully and ethically yeah so the things for you that really are important as you run your business it's Yes, it's about the money. You gave that great example of saying, I'm going to actually pay you more for this particular piece of work that you gave me because I do think you need to increase your prices, which I think is so great. And then you said there are more things than just money because I think when we think of therapists and helpers and healers, so many of them get run into... They run into this wall of, I can't charge because that will make me inaccessible. And I think what you're talking about is accessibility isn't just affordability. There are other things that make us accessible brands. So also the images that we use. How do you ensure that the images that you are using are in alignment with your values? I think about what it is that I'm trying to communicate. And Mm -hmm. I didn't used to think about this. I used to try to, like if it's a photo of me, for example, I used to try to look quote unquote good in my photos. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And again, I wasn't really thinking about this consciously. I just was like, that's what you do. That's what I see successful coaches having as their images. So, you know, just hire a photographer and have them do the thing that they do. And now I really think about it in terms of what do I want to communicate 
I'm a queer woman and mm-hmm. I want to like lean into my queerness in my images. I want to feel joyful in my images. I don't want to try to look any different age that I am. Right. So, and even just the way that I hold my body, I want it to be really authentic and, you know, being in my power in the way that I hold myself rather than kind of that that image that I may have picked up along the way of, oh, this is what a pretty girl looks like. So let me try and and kind of look that way. I think stepping completely away from that right. feels wonderful. And then it also draws people who want to be part of that same movement and conversation. Yeah. So making sure that the image also are representative of you as a queer woman and not just... I, I can't remember when you posted it, but you posted like a side-by-side yeah. of, of some images that you had kind of had a professional photographer take of you. And they are very, they would be easy to scroll by as another coach or therapist, right? They are very, they blend in. And then the photo that you posted after you stand out in a way that really is in alignment with who, when I think of Annie, that's the image that comes to mind of this person wearing a, a certain, I can't remember if you're in like a, a button down and you've got your hat on and your short hair is showing. So you just are showing some of the things stylistically that are important to you. And I think that's really important as well. What kinds of uncomfortable money conversations have you had to have over the years, either with the participants in your coaching program or with vendors? How have you tackled those uncomfortable money conversations? Yeah, I think some hard conversations that I've had have been with clients around setting fees. I think that's something that has been really tough and now I feel a lot more comfortable in, which you'd probably be proud of me for that with the work that you do, (laughs) where when people are pricing, whether it's their pilot offers as coaches or whether it's their therapy sessions, they're dealing with so many different feelings and messages and and old stories Mm -hmm. that I've often been in a position where I'm advocating a pretty big fee increase and then just being there with people as they kind of freak out and deal with all of the feelings that come up around hearing me <laughs> yes. say that or, or hearing mm-hmm. me guide them through a process where they mm-hmm. land on a number that that kind of scares the hell out of them. Yeah. And now I don't like I think I used to take it on as like I've got to make this feel comfortable for this person. I don't want to scare this person. And I think maybe that's a big part of the difference now is that when someone I'm working with is freaking out about a fee raise, I kind of think they're in a good spot. I think it I think it's a useful kind of awkwardness and uncomfortableness to work through. Mm-hmm. I love. So now that. I just let it. I let it be weird for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think okay, what you're talking about is so helpful because I think there are there's a difference, and it's subtle, but it's one of those things that you you just know, and the difference between 
raising your fees and it being an uncomfortable edge, like we talk about in yoga, let's say like, Mm -hmm. this is an edge and it's safe for me to sit here. It might feel, I might sit with this discomfort for a couple of moments, but if I take some deep breaths, I'll get through it. That's an uncomfortable growth edge, which I think is really helpful when we talk about increasing our fees. And then I think there is this bigger jump that is almost traumatic, which a lot of business coaches use and I think is really harmful, which is just to say, charge the maximum amount you possibly can with no rhyme or reason. And that to me is akin to potentially re-traumatizing a person, right? So I think I, I love what you're saying of I can know when I'm working with my clients that I'm sitting in this potential space of discomfort and and hang out there with them and it's going to be okay. And I also don't hear you saying, well, I tell them this is good for you and you have to raise your fees. 10x and I could, all your prices. Yeah, 10x yeah. all your prices. I love that you, know, you sit with that therapeutic part of yourself as you have these uncomfortable conversations. And I also imagine, Annie, that they weren't always easy to sit with them in this discomfort. I would love to learn more about how you got from what you said was, you know, I used to feel like I had to take it on for them to where you are today. How did you get there? And yeah, just share with us how you made that shift. I think watching people go through that process and maybe even sometimes be very uncomfortable with me in the process of like, I can't believe like you're giving me this process. Like I walk people through a process of like looking at what they need to charge based on their own money stuff and their own reality. So people mm-hmm. feeling uncomfortable with me in that process and taking it on and all of that. And then watching them go through the whole process and then watching more people go through that whole process and come back and say, I did it and this is how it went and I'm feeling really great about it and it the sky didn't fall. And then realizing, oh, that didn't have anything to do with me. This is <laughs> my job. Just like yes. in the therapy room, this is yes. my job mm-hmm. to just hold people through something hard. So for me personally, I think I just had to go through it a bunch of times yeah. and see that it works out and it's it's really their process that I'm helping them with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just getting like anything, the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with it. And even sometimes just being comfortable with it, being uncomfortable yes. is a part of that process. Yeah. What about like tangible tools? I mean, I hear a lot of kind of internal work around getting comfortable with the pricing discussions around paying the folks who who are contractors a fair wage and and things like that. But what about some of the tangible things? Were there specific books you read or courses you attended that helped you with the money mindset stuff? Yes. So I did Barry Tesler's program, Art of the Money. Art of Money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I did that year-long mm-hmm. program. I did it with a really close friend and we're pretty intimate around our money realities. So getting to do Barry's program was great. And then also getting to talk to my friend about it so much was really helpful. And healing a lot of my money stories mm-hmm. was super helpful. And then to get very tangible, I also really like to geek out on different money systems and I use Profit First yeah. in my business. And mm-hmm. so that gives me, along with having that kind of emotional intimacy with my money that I learned from Barry, having this like 
day in, day out intimacy with my money is really helpful in knowing like I've got every time I am distributing my income, I know exactly where to put it and I can see exactly how much I have to spend on expenses and I've got my taxes ready to go. Like that combination of stuff really helps me. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit more about Barry Tussler's program for people who might not be familiar? I mean, I know I nodded right along and I was like, oh, the art of money, but what is that? Yeah. So the first time I heard about this, I was like, what? I mean, now I'm familiar with you too. And so you also bring this kind of awareness into it, but she brings your body awareness into your Mm -hmm. relationship with money. And so she is a somatic therapist, although you know, she didn't decide to pursue a license because the work that she does really falls outside of that. But she helps you to work on money healing in looking at your stories and having ways to access your body's wisdom as you're working with your money. And then once you've done that money healing, then she takes you into money practices and setting goals and doing all of that nitty gritty stuff. Uh, but she, yeah, she works on the healing part first. Mm-hmm. And I had always, up until that point, I had been pretty good with my money, but it had always been just like from the neck up, just working on spreadsheets, Data, spreadsheets, on, yep, yeah, <laughs> all that stuff, but never the emotional or the spiritual or the bringing my body's wisdom into it. Super quick announcement. This is Lindsay. Duh. I wanted to let you know that if you are a private practice therapist who is in the process of filling up their practice with clients, but you're struggling with how to set fees and how to think about your money in a holistic way so that you can cultivate a sustainable practice. I am thrilled to let you know that Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out, my nine-week group coaching program for private practice therapists, will be reopening its doors very soon. We are not ready quite yet, so what I want you to do if you're interested is go to www.mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice, all one word, and make sure to put your name on the wait list so you will get notified just as soon as those doors open. Again, that's mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice. Which I think is so fascinating and also such a a common story for many Mm -hmm. people is they dive into the money spreadsheets and budget first. And often, you know, in my work as a financial therapist, I see so many clients who say to me, Lindsay, I've done the budget and I've done the projections and we're saving for retirement, but there's still this bigger elephant in the room when it comes to money. And I think it's really interesting and also validating that your experience was very similar. You can be good with money in a very black and white sense and also have to do more work on the somatic level of getting comfortable with how money feels and how it shows up and what it represents. So I think that's also probably very validating for listeners that that you can be good at money and also struggle with it in an emotional sense. Yeah, I love that. I love that. What about profit first? How did you, like, why do you think that particular 
style resonated with you and and how do you find yourself using that modal I don't know if modality is the right word that's the therapist in me (laughs) (laughs) but but why profit first why did that speak to you I really like how it's so concrete and it gives me a way to like never never fall into being cloudy about my money, never falling into like being dishonest with myself about my money. But like every two times a month, I do my distributions where I take whatever money I earned and I put it into these different bank accounts in the amounts that I've already figured out. And it just keeps me so kind of clean in my Mm -hmm. money rituals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, he's such a he's such a rule follower and he's like come up with these guidelines and in certain situations like that, I find rules actually really helpful. I find having a practice that's very solid really helpful. And I'm I'm kind of the same way about certain other aspects of my life, like my morning routine. It really helps me to just know exactly what I'm doing and stick with it. Mm-hmm. And and that I think is also really important that we have to figure out what works for us. And yes. some people, they need that, that spreadsheet and that guideline and that roadmap when it comes to their money. And other people are really comfortable with kind of just winging it. And mm-hmm. for me, I'm more similar to you. Well, let me, let me back up. I, by default, would not look at my money if I didn't have to. My my default in, in terms of a financial archetype is I fall into the blissfully ignorant category where I feel like if I don't know it, then it's not hurting me. It's it's all good. Like ignorance is bliss very much. And the more I learn about my money, the more empowering I feel. So it's this weird disconnect. Like in my head, I think that not knowing would feel really good. But the reality is that when I do have an idea of what's coming in and what's going out, I feel so much more confident. And I think for many people, having those guidelines is really validating and powerful. And I think, again, as like therapists, when we think of you know, developmentally, children do best when they have some some scaffolding from their caregivers and from their parents, and they do best when they have some sort of structure, and that gives them that freedom and that flexibility. So I'm hearing a lot of that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really right for me too. Like I need that structure, and then I can kind of do my version of going wild within that structure. Like I can look at my expense account, which means like the the money that I spend on my business. And I can, like I decided a couple months ago, like I'm going to hire someone to redesign certain parts of my website. And it mm-hmm. hadn't been in my plan to do that. So for me, that was like a wild move, but it, the money was there so I could do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mm-hmm. like to be... I like to have a combination, but for me, I need, I don't know if it's like my Capricorn-ness, but I need like some structure to play in. Oh, you're a Capricorn? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a Virgo, right? So there's a nice. lot of overlap between yeah. the Capricorn and Virgo of, of wanting things to be right and having that structure providing a lot of flexibility and freedom. So yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that. Do you use any kind of spiritual practices with your money? Do you fold in things like astrology or ritual or anything else into, into the way that you interact with your money? 
No, but I want to. And I've been thinking, I mean, there's been so much change for me this year. Um, Some of it's been horrible, of course, in 2020, Mm -hmm. but there's Mm -hmm. been, I'm definitely interested. And as I think about my profit first ritual that I walk through twice a month, I have been thinking, you know, this is great for me. And it feels like there's an opportunity to find some more holistic rituals that would like bring in my values, bring in my intentions around this money, like bringing in gratitude as I'm engaging with the income that's come in in the last half month, setting intentions around the money that I'm putting out. I think, yeah, you're asking a question that I really want to put more thought into. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's again, just like something that, that comes with time and it's evolving Mm -hmm. for me for whatever reason, astrology has really called to me in 2020 and it's been really healing for me to have some additional spirituality in a way that isn't, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I would say I'm a spiritual person. And for me, astrology kind of hits the, it helps to kind of find that space of, of spirituality and money for me. Interesting. And do you do something around like what's going on in the moment? Like, yeah, like astrologically. Yeah. 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 One of my my friends is actually in the San Francisco area, Leslie Tagorda. She is an astrologer for entrepreneurs and for brands. So she takes a look at your natal chart and helps you with your branding there. But she folds in a lot of new moon and full moon rituals. And that for me, I have started to use those for my money. So new moons are really good at planting intentions and full moons are a really good time to let go of the things that aren't serving you. So I think about that from a financial perspective of what are the goals that I want to set for myself financially and around new moons. And then when it comes to full moons, what are maybe the money practices that are no longer serving me or even just the money stories that are no longer serving me? And I've used both of those as a way to kind of incorporate some of that with my money work. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's so fun. So Annie, as we kind of wrap up today, are there any other thoughts that you would want to leave our listeners with when it comes to money stuff? One thing that I notice is that I work with a lot of people who are visionaries, even though they don't often think about themselves that way, at least not in the beginning. I notice that for visionaries, there's a certain kind of money mindset, a set of money mindset traps that they fall into. And so I just really, I'm really happy that you do the work that you do in helping people get really clear on their money stuff and heal their money stuff. And if you're a visionary, which you probably are, if you're listening to Lindsay, (laughs) then yeah, definitely the work that you're doing around money mindset is worth it because it's probably holding you back from getting your work out into the world in the way that it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Annie, where can everybody find you? Where do you hang out on the interwebs? (laughs) Probably the best place is my podcast, which is called Rebel Therapist. And you can also find me at rebeltherapist.me. Great. Thank you so much, Annie. It was a pleasure having you on and, and chatting with you again. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It was really fun. Let's 
get into the takeaways from this interview. Takeaway number one was when to scale back. So Annie brought it up in the context of closing her therapy practice to focus on coaching other therapists. Now, when it comes to money, I think it's important to consider when is it time to go deep on one thing instead of wide on a bunch of things. So often when I'm working with my clients, they want to do all the things at once. They want to get their budget in order. They want to figure out when they're going to retire. They want to start earmarking money for vacations and for their children's college fund. And while all of those things are important, sometimes when we try to do everything, we end up kind of doing a little bit of everything and not everything on our list gets done. So it's better just to pick one thing, go deep on it, start building some momentum before you move on to the next thing. Takeaway number two, mindset shifts. So for Annie, she said it so succinctly. She said she used to think business was a necessary evil. And then she shifted her mindset to micro businesses help us create the world we want to see. Ah, so beautiful, right? So Annie talks about also paying people and paying them well for their jobs and for their work as being an important pillar of her business. Now, when it comes to you in your money mindset, I'd like for you to start shifting it towards something more neutral or positive if you are already at that neutral shift, right? So we talk a lot about not shifting from negative to positive first, kind of building that bridge for your brain by passing it through neutral first. So let's say you've got a thought like having money makes me a bad person or money is the root of all evil. I would encourage you to try on a new money mindset or a new money mantra, such as I can be a good person and have money or money affords me the ability to create a community that I love. Takeaway number three is the importance of rituals. It wouldn't be a takeaway on a podcast episode talking about rituals if we didn't talk about rituals. So Annie was saying that she didn't have a spirituality aspect to her money ritual, but as I listen back to the episode, it really sounds like she does. She definitely has a money ritual of including profit first twice a month into her work. And she also said she geeks out on creating financial structures. She said she practices gratitude when money flows in. And so to me, that is an aspect of spirituality when it comes to money is just practice practicing some kindness towards ourselves, and when money flows in. So I love that structure of doing her money twice a month. And with my clients, I often talk about having money dates, whether they are individuals or whether they are partnered, I recommend connecting with your money on a, a regular schedule for some people that's once a week for some people that's once a quarter, but having it carved out helps to create space for those money rituals. And if you have been listening and you've been hearing all the information about Grow a Profitable Practice from the inside out, my nine-week group coaching program, make sure to add your name to the wait list. I'm actually going to be opening up applications at the end of this week. That's right. On November 27th, I am going to open up applications. So if you're on the wait list, I will make sure to notify you just as soon as those applications open up. And with that, I will see you on Thursday. If you love this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at mindmoneybalance with your favorite takeaway. I love seeing what resonates with my listeners and sharing it in my stories. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here. Thank you.
neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.